0: You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 401 and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin.
0: And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwadrer. So Brittany, it's been a while. How are things going in your corner of the world?
1: Well, I am extremely excited to hear that you and I get to see each other in March.
0: Holy cow. Yeah, I think uh, this is a bit weird to say, but maybe people who are like part of the Ruby community know this. I don't know if I've seen you since I first have seen you. We've been like distant friends for so long since Isle of Ruby 2018. Is that it?
1: I think so. It's been a really long time. It's been a very long distance friendship, I would say.
0: But that's totally normal, right? Because like when I was at RubyConf this summer, there's people I hadn't physically ever seen. And I'd been interacting with for, like seven years. So like, I think that's a very common thing. But hey, conferences are back. This is a new one. I think I've heard the vibe is going to be not dissimilar to like keep Ruby weird. So it's going to be really cool to see you and see some of our Ruby friends in the Southwest U.S.
1: I agree. I used to go to AWS reInvent every single year in Las Vegas. So I missed my Las Vegas this past year. And so I'm excited to be speaking at Sin City Ruby. Our friend Jason Sweat is organizing it and invited us to speak. It's going to be at the Tropicana and tickets are on sale now. So happy to link all that up in the show notes. But I really need to sit down and start, you know, planning out my talk. How about you?
0: Yeah. So this is interesting because I, I had a chat with some managers at Shopify after RubyConf and they'd found out just like at a social gathering that I'd done all of my talk work and prep and everything on my own time. And they said, no, 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 like you're representing Shopify. This is impactful to the company. So this is gonna be the first talk of my entire life where I'm going to try and at least do part of it mindfully during work hours, which is weird. Like I set my first time plot. I have a job. I can't just sit around writing talks all day, but like, it's like, no, okay, this morning on this day, I'm putting in my calendar, but it it might be good for the talk because I'm actually dedicating time and I have no excuse now. I have to get to work. Do you have any ideas kicking around or is it all hush hush at the moment?
1: Yeah. So I know what I'm going to be talking about. The title of the talk is going to be, we need someone technical on the call. And it's going to be the avoidance and acceptance of having to be the technical person on a call in order to unblock a customer, in order to get that sale, and how that can really progress your career.
0: Oh, that's cool. I can't wait to hear the talk. That'll be really fun. For me, I think I might lean into the newness of the conference and I might lean into the acceptance of the weirder side of things. Whereas I think for like a RubyConf or Rails if I was doing a CFP, I might be a little more you know, there's a certain flavor for each conference. Like Ruby kai has its own kind of flavor. So I might kind of explore that a bit. Not really sure what that'll look like, but I think one more time, I might tap into something older in the Ruby sphere that I've been thinking about for a while. It won't be just Ruby archaeology, but it might be something to do with Ruby that's been around for a while. So we'll see how it goes.
1: I really hope somebody leans into the whole gambling concept just because we'll be in Vegas.
0: That's true. And I gotta say, Props to having in Vegas. I think Vegas is such a great, cause I grew up in the Western U S like it's such a great place for conferences because if people haven't been there, it's a town that kind of suits whoever you are. Like people are like, Oh, gamb-. well you could hate gambling or whatever. And there's just like fantastic food, fantastic venues, things to do that of whatever your interests are. So it's just a great place to have a group of people get together. And the atmosphere is great. You know, that airplane to Vegas, everyone's going to Vegas. So there's always a good atmosphere. So I'm really looking forward to it, and that's just yeah, a couple of months away from time recording.
1: Agreed. So speaking of talks as well, this was shared yesterday, but I was selected for the RailsConf program committee, which is really exciting. I'm starting to work on what the tracks could look like for RailsConf, which I mean, Nick, I feel drunk with power. But
2: <laughs> yes, the power is mine. <laughs>
1: So I'm really excited for that CFP to open. That will be opening soon. And as a committee, we're still obviously planning out what the tracks are going to look like, what the virtual experience could look like. But I feel like May in Portland is going to be here before you know it.
0: Oh, it's just absolutely flying. 2022, say a prayer, but like it might be the year we just start getting these conference experiences again, like end of 2021, we got there and I'm so excited for this year. I'm too excited. I'm excited for RailsConf and it might be helpful. Let's say we, for listeners who maybe never been to RailsConf and like all these words might sound new to them, could you explain what the RailsConf program committee just is and what your role kind of like explain like I'm five kind of does?
1: Yeah, totally. So it's basically a volunteer position. The committee is formed based on the central organizing committee selects members for the program and your role is helping to select the tracks, you're blindly reviewing the CFPs and then Ultimately, you choose who's going to make it into the conference. Something we always have to tackle is, you know, what's the COVID policy going to be and everything mm-hmm. like that. And then I think this is really exciting. And I think I've gotten a lot of practice with the, the podcast is you get to MC a track. And so I really love the idea of being on stage and pumping somebody else up who's going into a talk. I'm terrified to give talks. I've never gotten to the point where I'm like super at ease. But emceeing and like getting the crowd hyped up for the next talk, that sounds like my jam.
0: That's so cool. And there's even parts there that I didn't know. I didn't think about that, but that is so like, because we've talked a lot about, I know you have an interest in giving back and helping others. And we've talked about with podcasting, but for like speaking, yeah, you will very possibly have people who are first time or early time, or maybe it's been a while speakers and you can be a part of that positive experience for them You kind of like help give back in a really impactful way. By the way, here's a blog post or a podcast topic or thing that I think never gets old and I always love hearing because I know they've been doing them for years, but maybe I'd love to hear one from you after it is reviewing CFPs, being the person on the other side. I've just sent them into the void over the years, but it'd be really interesting afterwards to hear your take on what things really jumped out to you, what were red flags or, or, or whatever. But I'd be definitely getting a retro from you on that after too.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I never submit a CFP without reading Richard Schneeman's CFP guide. It is so good. So good. So I'll definitely link that in the show notes, but I highly recommend reading that anytime you're getting ready to submit a talk.
0: Awesome. And you know, everyone says the other thing, submit multiple. Oh my gosh. And sometimes like I have meant to do multiple and I do the one. And then when it gets accepted, I'm like, oh, I was riding the risky approach there, but... Yeah, multiples a one that I don't think a lot of people know, because they think this one has to be the best. No, they can all be the best. You don't have to have all the information. You can just say, you know what? If you accept the CFP, I will sink 100 hours into this. I've sunk some, but that gives me license to really go. So anyway, that's awesome. And I'm looking forward to seeing how RailsConf comes together and, and picking your brain about how that goes. Totally.
1: And I'm going to steal this concept from Remote Ruby, but Nick, you and I are not alone today. So... Speaking of first-time guests, you are coming up on your one-year anniversary and so at Shopify. And so it kind of ties in nicely to the fact that we have a guest today.
0: So as I jokingly said to my manager this morning, I feel like I just wrapped up onboarding. I'll be at one year by time of listening around the time, maybe a week later. But yeah, during this last year, I got to work, I think the last four months since August with my friend Shamil, who is a senior developer at Shopify. From a young age, Shamil was passionate about computers and video games, which inspired him to pursue a career in tech. And starting his career with front-end development, he's transitioned to a full-stack developer working with Rails across multiple startups. So welcome
2: to the show, Shamil. It's good to talk to you again. Hey, it's good to be here. And I just want to mention, like Brittany said already, it is my first time doing a podcast, so I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Absolutely. Well, Shamil, if you've ever listened to the show, I'm definitely going to ask you, what is your developer origin
2: story? Yeah. Like I think Nick mentioned, I've always been into tech and like computers and video games from a young age. I'm the youngest of four brothers. So I always had the last chance to do anything like to play the game or to use the computer. So like I was usually the person watching. But growing up, I would always be playing games or watching videos. I tried to get into YouTube at one point. I just tried to get into tech somehow because I liked spending so much time on the computer. I was like, okay, I need to make a career out of this. So I would try anything I could possibly do to like make a living out of it. So like transcribing audio or like filling out surveys back in the day, was whatever I could do, I was like, I need to make a living out of using my computer. As I was in high school and I took some computer science classes, I found out that I could actually make little bots and apps that could benefit my everyday life. So I really got obsessed with that process. And I just kind of kept continuing it into university and realized, okay, I don't have to fill out surveys if I want to be working in tech and working on my computer for my whole life. I can actually build things. So I think that's like the main thing that triggered my developer attraction.
1: I love that. As the oldest out of four kids, I can't imagine what it's like to be the opposite. This episode is brought to you by Hook Relay. So you want to add webhooks to your app and after having worked with the webhooks that Stripe provides, you want yours to be as great as theirs. Well, that's as easy as sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL, right? We all know that it's not that simple. In other words, there's so much more than just post a JSON payload to get webhooks that your customers will love. The good news is Hook Relay has done all the hard work for you. If you are debugging a production issue or tracking down a specific webhook request, they provide you with all the details about your webhook interactions. It removes all the stress around failing and retrying services. It also lets you add a background job so you don't hold up your web requests and you avoid extra costs for a background worker if you're deploying to Heroku. I'm honestly so excited that they make it painless to resend a webhook. If you are as intrigued as me, check out hookrelay.dev and get started today. So it sounds like you started out in front-end. What caused you to pivot to Ruby on Rails?
2: Yeah, so definitely my experience was front-end. I really liked working with front-end and almost off the bat, I think I started working with Angular first because... React wasn't cool enough yet. And then slowly, when React blew up, I moved directly into React. But to be honest, as soon as I started working, I was just working completely in Node.js just because I was like, oh, I'm doing JavaScript on the front end, I'm gonna do JavaScript on the back end, it'll be easy. And when I got to my first or second job, it was at a startup, they were using Rails. And to be honest, that's the main reason why I started using Rails, just because my company kind of required it. And I was hired as a front-end developer, but I always found a big disconnect of oh, I'm just going to do front-end work. And then, oh, I need a new API route. So I'm going to ask somebody else. And then now I'm blocked. So I was always like, okay, I'm just going to look into it. Maybe I can do it myself. Maybe it's something easy as making a new route or something like that. So that was actually my main jump into Rails. It wasn't me like, oh, Rails looks cool. I want to do it. It was like, oh, my company uses Rails. I'm going to start using it a lot. But yeah, ever since then, coincidentally, all of the companies I've been at and including Shopify today, they all are very Rails-heavy companies. And it's definitely a popular technology to work with. So. Definitely don't have any regrets.
0: That's really good to hear because, you know, you work with people who work with tech and there's a few different ways you get in. So I started like, hey, Shopify does Rails. Sweet, let me go there. But then there are a lot of... Like, Shopify is huge, right? So there's so many people who got introductions to Ruby or Rails after joining Shopify or wherever they were, just like with any other tech. But it seems that your experience, I've seen quite a bit of people who got into that stack from work, but they don't regret it. They aren't like... I'm um, being forced to use this thing that we have to do seems to be quite a positive experience. And I think working with you, you seem to really enjoy that framework and, and just kind of like shipping features
2: with it, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's almost got to the point where when I started a new personal project, I'm like, okay, actually maybe Rails is better than this instead of like sticking to my Node.js route. So I'm very much, I wouldn't say a superpower user of Rails, but I definitely, whenever I'm making a new project, if I ever think, okay, this is going to be the real deal and not just like a cron job that I write, Rails is a huge, huge factor for me. Yeah,
0: totally. I like how you said about building stuff for yourself. I mean, I'll happily go Rails, new Heroku, create, push to Heroku and just create anything. Even if you just want an app that you interact with over SMS or like the most simple form that you do HTTP basic auth that you go in. Like just really simple stuff. I think it's so crazy because we're working with it scaled. but you and I, we've been working on not core, but like just other things. And it's just so quick to like, to solve the problem. But that brings me to another question I think our listeners would be interested in. I feel like we've covered this privately, but now I'm not so sure. So I'm actually really interested in as well. How did you land at Shopify specifically? And what is a day in the life like for you? Obviously, I know a little bit from our time together, but for our listeners, what is a day in your life like at
2: Shopify? Yeah, for sure. So I went to the University of Waterloo, which is the city of Waterloo. And Shopify has two offices. Well, they had two offices in this area. And ever since I was in school, my goal for like a career has always been to land at Shopify. There's a couple of big players in the area. There's like Square, there's Google. I think Uber is in Toronto now. But in this area, Shopify has a pretty big presence. And I've always viewed Shopify as kind of a mix between not super corporate and not like a huge global company like Google. And it's not a startup as well because like they're clearly relatively large. So like my goal has always been Shopify. And since I grew up in this area, like I've drove by the office quite a bit. And I even remember saying to my friends, watch one day I'm going to work there. And it's always been kind of like a goal for me to land at Shopify. And now that I'm here, it's definitely lived up to the hype for me. Tech careers are relatively short lived A lot of the time you see people jumping around like one or two years, but Shopify has definitely been somewhere that I definitely want to spend a good amount of time at because for me, it was the scale that we're at definitely gives me opportunity to learn. I'm not just dealing with, oh, how does my Rails app work for a hundred users or a thousand users now? So the scale that we're at is so educational for me. I worked on my share of small startups and like now I feel like I'm really understanding scale. And a day in the life for me, I would say it's fairly different. Some days we don't even have standups. Right now I'm on a very small team that has just kind of been spun up to work on this brand new product. So at first it was just me as a developer. There's not really much to stand up with, except I guess hey. there was like a product person. And then Nick came on almost instantly. So then we still couldn't really do standup because Nick's in Ireland and I'm in Ontario. So like our time zones are all over the place. So like for me, yeah, it's extremely different every single day. A lot of it is just, I would wake up and see, are there fires to put out? Because the team that I work on has managed quite a variety of products. But then after that, I would just kind of just jump into my own project, like work at my own pace, kind of see, do I want to just jump right into tickets today? Do I want to work on dependable upgrades? Is there meetings that I have to attend? So it's hard to say if there's a certain structure for every single day. But for me, at least on this team that I've experienced, it's very ad hoc. Yeah,
0: there's a couple of things I like that made me think of. So one is your experience joining Shopify, right? So I've heard it. this is so cool because I I got to visit Toronto a few months back, and it's so different because for the rest of the world, Shopify is everywhere. If you buy something that's on Amazon, it's probably Shopify, but nobody knows it. For like in the UK and Ireland and all that, or even in America, they're like Spotify. That's what everyone says. That's the big joke. But it was so weird being there in Toronto. Because I went to the LCBO, which for non-Canadians is like where they sell adult beverages. And I was talking to the manager and we were just having a friendly chat. He's like, where do you work? And all of a sudden I realized I might be in the one place in the world where they might actually know my employer. I was like, oh yeah, I just code at Shopify. And they're like, oh yeah, Shopify. It was so great. So yeah, a lot of people who joined, I love hearing that experience where it's just a known company. so big in, in those towns, right?
2: Yeah, I think they have a certain like notoriety around here because especially because they're one of the larger Canadian tech companies. Everyone's, oh, I heard that place on the news. Oh, I've heard stuff about their stock. People are going crazy over COVID or like using Shopify. So I wouldn't say like celebrity status where like it's known globally, but like in Ontario, at least people definitely know about it.
0: And then for working together, I think this might be fun for us to kind of just take two seconds and say for the listeners, So we are doing a green field. We can't spell secret sauce, which is really fun. So I can't say what business problem you're solving. But everybody knows that it's public knowledge that Rails, the Rails way, obviously for spinning up new services, you can do whatever stack you want. So that could be React or just traditional Rails front end. And we had to build a thing. And it was so interesting because we got to do this flow that I really enjoyed. I think we clicked right away. And we're so slick with some of the front end stuff. And I was okay with some back end. And because of our five hour time zone difference, we had the three hour overlap a day for all the meetings, which is enough. You don't need to meet for more than three hours a day. But because of that gap, when we wanted to really accelerate a bit faster than you should probably code, but only for weeks at a time, there were times where I could just hand a branch off to you. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to hook up the plumbing, go make some models. I'm going to make some database stuff, maybe get an endpoint and mutation or something together. And then I'd log off and I'd say, if you're happy with it, we can ship it. And we had this really cool cadence that I think teams globally should be interested in. If you have a company in the Americas and you're scared of hiring in Europe, or if you have Europe and you're scared of hiring in the Americas, there's a really interesting cadence with having five time zone difference where the team can actually not butt into each other as much and actually can have some really good velocity, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. And I would definitely say don't, Sell yourself short. You're definitely more than okay at the backend stuff. I think that was actually a that was a huge deal for me because when I saw the quality of your work of backend stuff, that built a lot of trust, and I was really kind of like, "Oh, backend PR, I can just give it to you." And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sure Nick will not only finish it but fix the mistakes that I made and then ship all of that." Seeing each other's quality of code, mine was probably more on the front end than the back end, but being able to experience that definitely built like that initial trust, and then near the end, we're like, oh, yeah, here, just take this branch or just take this branch and run with it. So that definitely was a good like foundation. Cheers. Well, thank you so much
0: for saying that. I, I do appreciate it. And yeah, I similar with your front end, uh, maybe I didn't read every line of code as close as I possibly should have with when we were trust was at back, you know, like full board.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Scout APM. Scout is an industry leader in application performance monitoring. This low overhead tool is designed to help Ruby developers find and fix performance issues. Scout's intuitive UI and tracing logic ties bottlenecks to specific lines of code and allows you to quickly pinpoint and resolve issues like N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's unlimited seats and applications allow teams to collaborate without additional costs and makes it easy for any member of your team to become a performance pro. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend with a free 14-day trial, no credit card needed. As a special offer for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open-source project of your choice when you deploy. Learn more at scoutapm.com slash ruby on rails.
0: Something I think would be interesting to cover for a sec is GraphQL. What are your thoughts here, like on GraphQL generally? Why is it scary
2: for so many Rails developers that GraphQL is client-driven? I would say that for a lot of Rails people, they're kind of used to doing it the Rails way, which is, okay, I'm going to make an API or I'm just going to expose an API endpoint and then I'm going to just let the client hit it. I'm not going to have to worry about anything else about the client. One thing that I could potentially see that could be considered scary is that GraphQL adds another layer of how you do things. So when me and Nick were working together, it could even be like, I'm going to split this, up in this back-end PR up into two PRs one for doing the Rails models and like the actual Rails code, and then another separate PR just for doing the GraphQL types and the resolvers and the mutations. That whole idea of this new layer of having to write code can be intimidating because before it's, oh, there's this new client, it's React, or this new client it's Angular. You don't really have to change how you're writing your endpoints or anything. You're still just going to make an API endpoint, like a REST endpoint, and then let them hit it. Whereas now, like there's a bunch more work for you to do But in the end, the argument is that it's more scalable. Like it's easier in the end for the client to just ask for a new field. There's not going to have to be that, oh, can you implement this new field coming back from this endpoint? It's, oh, the client will just send a new query and it has that new field in it. So I think for me, where I could see a bit of scariness coming in is that like extra layer of having to write code. But I also don't think it's anything crazy. You're not doing neural nets or machine learning or anything like that. It's just types, resolvers, mutations. So I think it's nothing too big to be scared about.
1: That makes sense. What does the ecosystem currently look like for GraphQL in terms of getting it set up in a Ruby on Rails application? And do you ever see a world where Ruby on Rails version 10, where we see GraphQL as a first-class
2: citizen? For the ecosystem part, I think it's extremely straightforward. There's the Rails, I believe it's the Apollo gem that we use, and getting it set up is as simple as setting up Query type, which just kind of defines what queries your GraphQL API is providing. Creating resolvers, which define like how the stuff you're returning looks like. So if you're returning a car, what fields are actually inside that car? And then just types for each field or each and every model that you have. So a car can have a make, a model, a VIN, a whatever. Getting started was actually really straightforward. And what I really liked about it was that the control flow is really easy to follow. So you start with your query type, you're like, oh, this returns this type of resolver. And then you go to the resolver and then you say, oh, this returns this type of type file. And you can just look into the type. So I was never really too lost about looking around in GraphQL. So I really like that. For being a first-class citizen, I think before Rails considers GraphQL a first-class citizen, GraphQL itself needs to mature even more. It is a relatively newer technology. And only recently, I would say people are starting to jump on it for large production projects. For corporate size production projects. So I think once GraphQL becomes more like widely accepted in the community and there's a lot more support for it, then frameworks like Rails can say, okay, you know what, let's just ship with GraphQL right off the bat.
1: I think that's really smart and that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, as someone who regularly interviews front-end developers for my team, even though you're full stack now, what is one opinion you hold about the front-end that will always stick?
2: One thing that I actually learned with Apollo's GraphQL at the front end is caching. A lot of people see front end as, oh, I'm just going to style this and I'm just going to center this div and then move these around. It changes the colors. But like when you get into the layers, the weeds of front end development, it's not just making things look nice, but it's actually optimizing how things run. So you really experience that when you start dealing with Apollo's caching and you're like, holy crap, this is actually kind of complicated. There's query values that are being cached. And then when you create a new one, do you wanna expire that cache? Or do you wanna just manipulate the existing cache and then shove new records inside of that? Or do you wanna filter out records that already exist in your cache? There's a whole lot of things that can be dealt with when dealing with an Apollo cache. So even though front end seems like it could just be like, oh, change the color of this button, it can actually get a lot more complicated than that. That's a really good point. And
0: I think that's something that I
2: could keep learning I remember
0: reading a recent guide, Ryan Berkopek, like one of the performance people who's famous for focusing on Rails performance. And there's so much of that writing that is about concerns that are front end only and then things that you have to worry about. And it's not just the back end that has all these weird kind of technical things. And yeah, working with you, I definitely gained a lot more appreciation for all these considerations. But I do want to say, like, we definitely were full stacking when we worked together. I'd just be like, what is it? I think from back end, it's just you kind of look at the existing front end once it's there, once somebody's made one for you and you're like, oh, this is what a tab looks like. Now I'll try and make it tab too. And I think maybe that approach kind of works in all areas of programming where you kind of go to new areas. But anyway, I'd love to hear your impression with your experience with Rails and just working in the community generally in your experience. What are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on
2: Rails communities in general? In my opinion... I hope that Rails becomes more widely adopted. I know a lot of people kind of stray away from Rails when it comes to large-scale production apps because they think that Rails has problems with scaling. And honestly, before Shopify, I thought that was my opinion too, just from reading online. And then realizing the scale that Shopify runs Rails, I was like, okay, I don't think that is a real issue. I think for the future of Ruby on Rails, hopefully right now, I think it's, Really easy to get into Rails because a lot of the boot camps teach it. It's very easy to jump into. Ruby is basically Python and Python's basically English. So I think, and what I hope is that Rails actually becomes like really widely adopted, but I think there's going to have to be a lot of education on, is it actually tough to scale Rails or is it actually like usable at a large scale production? I think my favorite thing about Rails right now is the documentation. The community has provided such a good documentation and there's so much like resources online to find out just information about rails. Like it's so easy to find out, oh, what are the callbacks that are used? What's after save or what's before save or any of that stuff. So definitely like documentation is my number one thing when it comes to rails.
0: Yeah, totally agree with you. If you go like rails guides, API documentation and compare it with some other things out there, it just gives you what you need straight away. The eye scanning time is very low. And I have to agree with you. I'm hopeful for the community. Personal opinion time, I think 2015 to 2020, there's some sort of tangible cooling off. It was always, Rails was always good, but you know, you saw not as many boot camps and stuff like that. But boy, in the last year, even on the orange website, you start seeing comments of people who are like new converts to using it and what's come out in Rails seven and stuff. And I'm, I think I've never been more bullish on the framework. So it's an exciting time. And it's good that we take the time to share that we're. we're we're doing was it Black Friday, $2 million a minute all on Rails for a while there. So it definitely does scale. So anyway, thank you so much for coming on, but we got to share you with
2: the public. How can the listeners follow you and find you in the internet? I don't really have a big social media presence. I would say my GitHub, if you want to follow some stuff, it's github.com slash M-E-E-O-H. But you're going to find a lot of hack projects and something to scrape my hydro website so I can find how much dollars I'm paying a day. Like you're going to find a lot of really mini hack projects. So don't be like, don't be surprised by that. But yeah, I don't really have a huge presence on social media, but I would say GitHub is where to find my new code.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. And thanks, Brittany, for having me back to co-host. And thanks everyone for listening. Awesome.
1: Have a great day, everyone. And Shamil and Nick, I hope you continue sharing that branch.
0: Have a good one, everyone. You've been listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.